What's up and welcome into the Monday edition of the Black and Blue Report. I'm Daniel Salerson here inside Studio B, Knockshner Sports Performance Center. What a weekend it was for the Saints and the Pelicans. Hope you all had a great weekend. The weather was great, at least yesterday here in the Crescent City. Saturday, a little bit of the rain, but the temperatures dropped. Sort of made it feel like fall, so it was certainly nice to have a nice weekend sports-wise and weather-wise for the most part. Of course, it was a nice clean sweep by the Saints and the Pelicans. How about the Pelicans? Friday night, franchise record 149 points scored as they defeat the Sacramento Kings 149-129. to They improved to 2-0 for the first time since the 2011-12 season. Nikola Mirotic, a career-high 36 points, eight players double figures. The crowd was electric. What a way to start the home campaign for the Pelicans as they continue their homestand on Tuesday night against the Los Angeles Clippers. So the Pelicans making waves on the basketball side. And, of course, the Saints with a gritty win over the Baltimore Ravens yesterday afternoon in Baltimore, 24-23. Man, oh man, what a series of events late in that game for the Baltimore Ravens as they drive right down the field to hopefully tie up the game against the Saints. It was 24-23, and then Justin Tucker, I got this stat from Peter King this morning. Since Justin Tucker jogged onto the field, he went to Westlake, High school member, same as uh, Drew Brees in Austin, Texas, 356 times between his high school, home, um, University of Texas, and the Baltimore Ravens never missed a PAT until yesterday. It was an unbelievable sight, as everyone just assumed it was going to go in and this game was going to go to overtime. But luck came on the Pel on the Saints side, excuse me, for that game, and your Saints are now five and one and won five straight. Congratulations to Drew Brees, who has now beaten every single team as quarterback including the New Orleans Saints when he was with the Chargers. And now he's just the third quarterback to do so, joining Peyton Manning and Brett Favre. He's also the fourth quarterback to reach 500 touchdowns, as he did hooking up with Ben Watson. He is the fourth quarterback to do that, as you add Tom Brady to that mix as well. So an historic day in Baltimore, an historic night in the Crescent City on Friday night as the Pelicans beat the Kings. So what a weekend. And, of course, congratulations to the LSU Tigers now in the top four about the AP and the coaches poll as they have their bye week and get ready for the huge game on November 3rd against the Alabama Crimson Tide. We have a great show for you on this Monday. Of course, we'll recap yesterday's Saints game with John DeShazer of NewOrleansSaints.com. And we'll also talk Pelicans. Normally, we have David Wesley on Wednesdays. We're going to change it up a little bit this year. You never know we're going to have David on. But today, I decided to have him on to get his thoughts on the first two games of the regular season. So he'll join me along with John the Shazer. Don't you go anywhere. Today's Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek is yours right now. This is the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. Here's Daniel Sellerson. Of course, we start with the New Orleans Saints, a 24-23 victory over the Baltimore Ravens. Fresh off the trip to Baltimore is John DeShazer from NewOrleansSaints.com. And J.D., what an unbelievable game. We talk about the grit of this team. You can't find a, a grittier win than you did last night against the Ravens. You know, a lot of people in the past have looked at the Saints as a quote-unquote dome team, a team that didn't play well outside. Well, now they're 3-0 on the road this year. But more than that, I mean, Baltimore is an extremely physical team, and the Saints matched them uh, blow for blow, so to speak. I mean, it was a really, really, uh, I think, a, a, a kind of signature game for the Saints because you go on the road and you beat a tough opponent and you've got a rally to do a rally. They're 10 down in the fourth quarter 
and rallied to win that game. I mean, they've got to feel really good about what they were able to accomplish yesterday. That felt like a playoff win in a sense, didn't it? It did. I mean, you know, the Saints are in a tough stretch right now. I mean, so we know that they need to, you know, stack up as many wins as we said. You know, we've said that before. And, you know, they have the road game uh, this week against Minnesota. And, you know, the Rams are on the schedule and those kinds of things. But, you know, you want to build up as much equity as possible. But, man, the way they played, and, and again, Baltimore team that was 4-2 and two leading their division and really wanted to stick it to the Saints, the only franchise, by the way, that Drew Brees had not beaten as a starting NFL quarterback, so he's able to get that off his back too. But, man, it, it had a playoff atmosphere from fans to play to, to everything about it. Were, were you just as shocked as I was when Justin Tucker hooked that, hooked that PAT? I mean, just won his face alone. At one point you kind of felt bad for him, then the other sense it was like, well, the Saints got the victory because he missed that. Not just because he missed that field goal, but man, oh man, what a what a kick at the end there. I just knew the game was going overtime. I, I happened to be standing underneath that upright, by the way. I was right underneath that upright down on the field because I thought the Saints, you know, might be able to, you know, get a stop. And then they give up the touchdown. I see the, you know, see John Brown running wide open in the, in the end zone. And I'm like, oh man, here we go for overtime. So I'm standing up under the upright and I see it slice outside and uh, not to, not to, you know, throw out any, any, I guess notoriety for my own stuff, but I tweeted, you know, he missed it. Then I put exclamation point. Then I put, he missed it with a question mark. And then I put, you know, yeah, he missed it. Cause I could not believe it. First one he's missed in his entire NFL career. So, you know, Hey, but we've seen the saints lose a couple of games that kind of way with, you know, with some quirky stuff happening on special teams. So certainly they're not, they're not going to give it back. Did you pull the Lance Stevenson? Is that why I hooked the left? They were able to blow that ball. Man, I tell you what, that thing, and looking at the replay of it, it was right down the middle. And I don't know if the wind got it. I don't know if the English he put on it got it, whatever it was. Um, But that's what the NFL was looking for. You know, when they were kicking, you know, kicking the PATs from, from 19 yards out, everything was automatic and they wanted to put a little bit more, I guess, unknown into it. And certainly, uh, man, you know, you feel awful for Justin Tucker, but you feel great for the Saints. J.D., you, you were tweeting this at the beginning of the game, and I was noticing it when I was watching the aggressive play calling, especially on that first drive and all the fourth down conversions. But what a bold, I guess, play calling from Sean Payne, the aggressiveness. I, I kind of liked it. I enjoyed it yesterday. I loved it. Uh, Drew Brees said after the game accurately, um, we came to win, and they coached and play called like a team that was intent on winning, not just hanging close or not saying, you know, we're going to leave it to the fates at the end. They were saying, basically, we we got the ball. We're going to do everything we can to keep the ball. We're going to try to score every way possible. We're not going to leave anything to chance. And and you got to love that. Uh, if you're an offensive team and you have the coach go for it five times on fourth down and you convert four of them, one, that gives you a lot of confidence that he that he believes in you. And two, it gives him confidence in you because you converted four of them. So, you know, a great look for the Saints to me. And what we talk about, we always talk about Taysom Hill and just how explosive he is and just the different things that he can do. But he was a, another big factor again yesterday. You just don't how, – how do you plan as a defense whenever he's on the field? Because you just don't know exactly what he's going to do. Well, that's the thing. That's the unknown he gives you. He can run it. Uh, he'll hand it off to Alvin Kamara. He also has shown a willingness to throw it to – uh, he can do so many things, and he's willing to do all those things. Uh, he isn't the greatest at any of them, but he's really good at a lot of them. And so you can use him in a lot of spaces. You can use him as a tight end. Um, the Saints have thrown him a pass. I imagine at some point they're going to throw him something down the field a little bit farther and give him some opportunities there. But he's such a weapon. You can plan for something new for him every week, and that's got to be a great advantage for the Saints. What changed offensively in the second half? Because the Ravens have not allowed a second half touchdown until the Saints yesterday. What changed offensively that 
led them eventually to that double-digit comeback win. Well, I don't know. The Saints have been the best fourth-quarter team in the league uh, this year, and, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if the concentration level jumps, the execution level jumps. I don't know. But whatever it is, man, it's a fantastic thing to be able to have in your bag. Now, do you want to have to use it all the time? No. But, man, when, they, when they've got to have it, uh, they've been a team that's been able to get it done in the fourth quarter. Uh, Drew Brees is, is as sharp as he can possibly be in the fourth quarter. Uh, the running game, I thought, yesterday was really good. But defensively, you got to get some stops, too. I, now they gave up that last touchdown, yeah. But defensively, they played extremely well in the second half until they gave up that last late touchdown that like that. So, man, I don't know what it is. If you can put your finger on it, I'm sure they probably have it working like that in the first quarter, too. But uh, they certainly have it cooking in the fourth. We don't talk about this enough because it's just because it's Drew Brees and how good he is. But you mentioned defensively, not creating a lot of turnovers. But guess what? The offense is not causing a lot of turnovers. And that goes back to Brees. 170 pass attempts without an interception, the most through seven weeks of the season since 1970. I don't think anyone's talking about the fact that Brees hasn't thrown a pick yet. One, maybe for the, the jinx, as in Chris Myers with Justin Tucker yesterday. But also at the same time, because... I think we're just used to how great Drew Brees is. Well, I, and I tell you what, Daniel, it's not it, it's not just that he hadn't thrown an interception. I don't even know if a defender has really had their hands on the ball to be in a position to intercept one. You know, sometimes you'll get lucky and a guy'll drop one, or one will just you know go through his hands, or you know, a guy won't get you know a defender won't get his head turned around fast enough or something like that. None of his passes, I think, have been in that category. They've either been to his guy or nobody. And so, you know, he's on a roll that I, I would imagine he would say he probably has never been on a better roll than this in his NFL career. Is he rolling up the passing yards? No, he's got less than 1,900. Is, is he rolling up the touchdown passes? No, but he's taking care of the football and the Saints are 5-1. and one. And this is a brand of football that we said earlier. Uh, it, one, it's a winning formula. And two, it's a formula that you can win with anywhere. All right, quick before we wrap up here, uh, Minnesota Vikings now. And I know everyone is thinking this Saints team owes them one after last year. Talk about what that game is going to be like on Sunday night. Well, I mean, I'm sure they're going to downplay it. But look, if you're human, you have to feel some type of way if you're the Saints. I mean, the way they exited the playoffs, the way they lost that last game, they have to have some kind of feeling, uh, something in their taste buds about it. Now, again, they'll play it down this week, and that's what you're supposed to do. But if you're human, you got to reflect some on that, and it's got to be a source of motivation. And we thought it might be a source of motivation for the Saints this year. And look, they've come out of the gates like a team that believed they should have been in the NFC Championship game, and they played like it so far. So, you know, I, you know, it's, again, it's, you'd love to go up there and wipe that memory out. Does it? Does it completely wipe it out? No, because it's not a playoff game, and you don't get to go to the NFC Championship game. But it sure will make you feel a lot better about your chances of maybe advancing there this year if you win this game in Minnesota because it's a tough venue to play against a really good team. Yeah, if you if you beat them there, then they might have to come to you when it comes to exactly. playoff time, and then the payback that's, can happen. And that's what you're looking for. That's what you're looking for, to have home field in the playoffs. All right, that's John DeShazer from NewOrleansSaints.com. Before we get to Pelicans and David Wesley, a quick word from Sanderson Farms. Who do we champion at the Sanderson Farms Championship? We champion the children of Mississippi. Each year, all championship proceeds go to charities across Mississippi, including Batson Children's Hospital. Join us October 22nd through 28th at the Country Club of Jackson for first-class golf, fun, and good, honest Sanderson Farms chicken, all to raise money for charities like Friends of Children's Hospital. Visit SandersonFarmsChampionship.com for your tickets today. All right, we wrap up today's Black and Blue Report with some Pelicans talk. Joining me now is David Wesley, Pelicans television analyst for Fox Sports New Orleans. And David, normally I know we have you on Wednesday, but 
we're going to switch it up. You know, the Pelicans are 2-0 this season. They're looking great. Why not? We're going to have you on on this Monday. I appreciate you coming on, my friend. No, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to come on. It's been, it's been a fun start, so now's a good time to jump on. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I didn't see this start coming. I, I sensed that the Pelicans could be good this season, 2-0. and I thought maybe they had a chance of being the Rockets there on opening night, but did you ever envision 140 points per game through two games? Not at all. I mean, if you if you use this preseason as any indication of, of what this team might be, you thought they might struggle coming out the gates, and um, especially defensively, turning the ball over. Um, they really didn't look their best, and there was a lot of room for concern. And so when you think about the way they played in preseason, you might have your doubts, but you also saw this team finish the season on a real high. So um, they're playing more like that team with more confidence and more production. So it certainly is fun to watch. We know the pace is a big contributor to how many points the Pelicans are scoring, but what else is the big factor and why they are having so much success on offense? What is it about this offense that's creating so many points for this team? I think one, um, ultimate confidence. I think they really found a, a great groove and they're sharing the ball. Their assists are sky high and, and they're really playing at a level that is, is hard to compete with. And that also comes with making shots. If you have teams like Houston taking the ball out every time, it's, it's really hard for them to get into their rhythm and get into their transition. And, um, you know, we talked about it just before we came on. You know, the guys that need to be playing well are playing extremely well. Now, the only person that isn't playing great offensively uh, or to his level of great offensively is Drew Holiday. But he is defending like no other. I mean, he is doing his job on the defensive end and not caring about points, which is another big key in this team's success. If we don't care who, and I, and I say we, I'm talking about it in a team setting. If we don't care who scores, as long as we score and nobody's out there trying to get theirs, then there's a great chance for success. If there's no animosity or I want to be here or do this and everybody's playing their role, which it seems like everybody is and content with, this could be a really, really good and fun season. A lot of people had some questions about Alfred Payton and how he would fit into this system, replacing Rajon Ronda, who's now with the Lakers after two games. And we saw a little bit of a struggle in the preseason, but of course he's getting used to a new team, a new system. How do you think Alfred has adapted to this fast-paced offense? Yeah, I agree with your, your look on the preseason. You know, at times he looked like he had that, you know, like he was in sync, and at times it looked like he was a little bit out. But, of course, you know, he's adjusting and trying to figure out where guys want the basketball and, and how he fits in the scheme of things. But, obviously, you start out with a triple-double. You come out, you come back the next game, you get double-figure scoring, and I think he had six and six. So, uh, still a, a great job of, of coming out and doing what he needs to do. Uh, and when you have your most of your starters sitting on the bench for the fourth quarter, that's, that's Golden State-like. That's... That's getting out there, getting your work done, going down, sitting down, and letting everybody play. And then you have Nikola Mirotic, who had a career-high 36 points in the win against Sacramento, averaging 33 per game. David, uh, I know he was capable of scoring, but six threes in the opening night, five threes against the Kings. I mean, the man is shooting lights out so far in two games. He is, and and some of those some of those shots 
aren't just sit there wide open. Some of those shots are, are uh, you know, that one he created on the, the right side of the floor uh, where he danced with it, shot the fadeaway. Uh, that's how you know what kind of groove he's in. I mean, he's going into all his tricks and, and the way he catches and shooting right now, the ball barely touches his hand. I mean, it's catch out. And that speaks a lot to, to his confidence right now early in the season. And, um, uh, you know, th- this team has has what it takes. But if they continue to play this way, something I thought they really did well in game one against Houston was when they had the mismatches, they threw it down on the block and then they let the play speak for itself. They let guys make plays. Cutting has been outstanding to start the season. Guys are, are moving without the basketball great, and their teammates are finding them. So when you cut or when you get open and you get the ball the next time, you're going to do the same thing. That movement in their offense is it, it, it contributes to, to the points that they're scoring. And, um, you know, anytime you run the floor or cut and you receive the ball, the next time you're going to feel like I'm a run and I'm a cut and I'm going to get the ball, and I have a chance to score, that's beautiful basketball. I'm glad you mentioned the cutting and the ball movement because I feel like Anthony Davis has been a big part of that, averaging over seven assists per game. He averaged just 2.3 assists last year, including a career-high eight assists against the Rockets. I mean, how lethal can he be now if he adds the passing element to his game? He talked about how he wants to get better at that finding the open man, and it seems like through these two games, David, he's done a good job of taking advantage of defenders double-teaming him and him finding that open guy down low. Well, you know, and, and when you look at basketball, if your two best players are willing passers, Drew and, and AD, if they're willing passers, and, I, and I've always thought that they played like that to a fault. I, I think sometimes they should score more and, and, and look around less. So they've always been that way. But when the thing that I think that they, and, and I stress this a lot, when they saw those mismatches, they threw the basketball into AD, into the post. You had a little guy. The double team comes, the ball starts moving, players start moving. And that's what, you know, I, I've been screaming. I've been, you know, that's one of my complaints from previous years is when they've had those mismatches, they didn't exploit that. Now AD expands his game, and it looks like he expands his game. I think he's always been a willing passer, but it looks like his game has expanded. Now he's getting the assist. Now he's getting everybody involved. And I think it brings everybody together collectively as a team. Defensively, David, I know people look at the points per game and go 112, 129. Good Lord, the Pelicans defense isn't that great. But one, you have to factor in the pace. The more possessions the Pelicans have, also the more possessions for the opposing team. So through two games, based on what you've seen from Houston and Sacramento, how would you evaluate this defense so far? I, I think it's doing exactly what it needs to do. I, I thought uh, Houston especially, I, I thought collectively they never got uh, they, they never got in rhythm, you know, because everybody was on a string. I, I thought Ehrman and the coaching staff did a great job of, of the scheme where they, they doubled the pick and roll late and it really threw them off and they made sure that Harden never got in rhythm. Paul never got in rhythm. And the guys that were supposed to trap, they trapped when they were supposed to. They rotated when they were supposed to. Obviously, there's some slippage there sometimes where a guy doesn't get there soon enough or they weren't in the right place. But they did it enough 
to keep that team out of rhythm all night. I, I think their their defense is is playing great. Uh, I think it starts with Drew, at, you know, getting the tough assignments, and uh, each night you see him out there working. Uh, and you know, just on a side note, I've said Drew is one of the best defenders in the league, and uh, I'll put him up against just about anybody. The way he was harassing Buddy Heald the other night, it was just unbelievable to watch and just to see his defense on those guards against Houston. Like you said, I think he is one of the best defenders in the league. That's for sure. David, now this homestand continues on Tuesday night against the Clippers, followed by the Nets on Friday night and the Clippers on Saturday night. I know it's so early to talk about the importance of this homestand, but if you look at that road trip coming up with the Pelicans leaving on Sunday, five games in nine days, including the Nuggets, who are undefeated, Golden State, the defending champs, Portland, who's also undefeated as of today. And then you have, oh yeah, the Spurs and the Thunder who have struggled, but you know they'll probably get back into a rhythm. So how important is the rest of this homestand for the Pelicans to try to get some more wins under their belt before this tough road trip? Well, the Pelicans last year was a great road team. Uh, 24 and 17, excellent. Excellent, excellent. You know, every team, if they could start off 24 and 17, on the road, they would take that and then take their chances at home. So when you say that, and I, and I think they'll be a good road team again, they can't count on 24-17 and 17 on the road. They may get it, but they can't count on it. So they have to establish an atmosphere here at home where they go out and get wins, and you can almost chalk it up. They were 24-17 and 17 at home as well. So you think about if they had a, a better home record, then their road record, they're 55, I mean, 52, 53, 54 wins. You know, now they're higher in the standings. Now they're playing a, a much lower seed. So, you know, I think, it's, I think it's important for them to establish this road, uh, I mean, this home court. And like you said, going out on the road against these tough matchups, uh, you know, you want to kind of get a little cushion and you want to take advantage of, you know, the teams that aren't going to play well this season and the teams that aren't, you know, off to a good starter and a good rhythm. So you want to hit them early. So, yes, they got to get these and then go out and and work on the road part. Yeah, I was very pleased with the atmosphere on Friday night. Let's hope it keeps up yes. tomorrow against the Clippers. Of course, you can watch that on Fox Sports New Orleans. Pelicans and Clippers, Joel Myers, David Wesley, and Jen Hale. And, of course, you can watch David all season long on Fox Sports New Orleans. And he'll appear here on the Black and Blue Report throughout the entire season. David, I appreciate it, my friend. Yes, thanks a lot. All right, that'll, have a good day. you too. That'll do it for today's podcast. A big thanks to John DeShazer and David Wesley. Sean Kelly will be your host on Wednesday, hopefully talking about a Pelicans win over the Clippers and being 3-0. Until then, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Black and Blue Report.